Hello and welcome. It's been another huge week in politics. Uh, this week on the show, I'm going to unpack uh, the looming threat with communist China, speaking with Daniel Teng from the Epoch Times newspaper. Also coming up is Kiralee Smith to speak with me once again about the relentless attack on women and girls by political activists. But first, I've been critical of the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet for dropping the ball on many issues. His government has presided over massive debt in New South Wales, $150 billion or $13,000 for every man, woman and child in this state. His energy minister, Matt Keane, has driven the electricity sector into the ground by closing coal-fired power stations without replacing their generating capacity. Australia's biggest state faces the very real prospect of blackouts as a result. Now, it's hard to believe we are talking about this in what was once a first world country like Australia. But here we are. On social policy, Perrottet, who identifies as Catholic, has abandoned most of his core values to preside over a parliament that has legislated abortion to birth, euthanasia and gender-fluid gender ideology in our schools. His health minister, Brad Hazard, protects the child gender clinics despite mounting evidence they are harming children. But the one thing Perrottet has gotten right is poker machine reform. It's an important issue, and if only he showed the same courage on other issues as he has in standing up to the powerful clubs lobby, things would be a lot better. Now, we all love our clubs and pubs, but poker machines are a scourge. In New South Wales, $18.5 million is lost every day of the year through pub and club pokies, causing untold social and economic harm. This is unsustainable and things must change. Now, Perrottet has vowed to introduce a cashless gaming card with spending limits. This will tackle criminal money laundering and reduce losses to vulnerable people. It's a no-brainer. Opposition leader Chris Minns is not quite as committed, but has been shamed into also following suit by promising a trial at least. Now, I personally think both leaders should go further and introduce $1 bet limits. Better still, abolish poker machines altogether and offer the clubs an adjustment package. The social and economic damage foregone would end up saving the state money. The Alliance for Gambling Reform, led by the Reverend Tim Costello, and locally here in Sydney by Reverend Stu Cameron of the Wesley Mission, have done a terrific job in advancing this cause. If Perrottet is re-elected, genuine poker machine reform is on the table. Now, speaking of Perrottet's energy minister, Matt Keane, he was in the news this week as part of a desperate scramble to undo the damage he has done to our electricity sector. Quote, what we've got to do is make sure there's enough capacity in the system to be able to meet demand, Keane told The Australian in an interview this week. No kidding, Matt. Should have thought about that before closing cheap and reliable coal-fired power stations. With the Liddell power station due to close next month and the Australian energy market operator warning of blackouts as a result, Keane has now conceded he might need to keep the Erang coal-fired power station open. Keane's windmills and solar panels are simply not up to the job, as was always going to be the case because there are times when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. The Snowy 2.0 hydro scheme, uh, which is supposed to provide backup to unreliable windmills and solar panels, is running years behind schedule and the costs have blown out from $2 billion to an eye-watering $20 billion. Given the amount of money being spent on unreliable renewables, we could have built an emissions-free nuclear reactor with the capacity pr to provide 24-7 electricity. 
Now, for most of February, Sydney was awash with taxpayer-funded rainbow flags. Last Sunday, the Harbour Bridge was closed for a Pride March in which it was reported that 50,000 people participated. Pictures revealed a giant serpent held aloft by the marchers. Now, the symbolism of this is all a bit much given that in Christianity, the serpent is often used to symbolise Satan himself. World Pride certainly pushed the boundaries as this political movement continually does. It mixed a web website promotion of events featuring sexual fetishes involving animals with events targeted at children, including toddlers. And of course, rainbow politics insists on indoctrinating children in the harmful and false idea that gender is fluid, lobbying for criminal sanctions against any of us who say otherwise. Now, civil society should be deeply disturbed uh, by the normalization of its agenda of this rainbow agenda, but people are fearful of this movement. It, it's almost like they are worried that criticizing it is as dangerous as stepping on a giant snake. But if freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of parents to protect their children from radical LGBTIQA plus indoctrination at school is to be allowed, we have to take on this political movement's ideas head on. While ever politicians like Treasurer Matt Keane and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese march in their parades, and while ever governments like that of Dominic Perrottet pour taxpayer money, $4.5 million this year, into events like World Pride, the prospects of freedom diminish. In 2017, Australians gave the LGBTIQA political movement an inch when we voted to redefine marriage. The movement has taken a mile and there's no end to the boundaries of decency it is pushing. The pride flags have come down for now, but the attacks on freedom of religion and the innocence of children continue. This week we celebrated International Women's Day. Now, sadly, our politicians can no longer define woman. As a result, children are being confused and led off to gender clinics where irreversible harm is being done to their bodies. Biological males are competing against girls and women in their sports. We need legislation to ensure the definition of women used by all government agencies, including and especially education departments, is adult, human, female. It's not that hard, people. To all the adult, human, females out there, uh, happy International Women's Day for last Wednesday. Well, joining me now to help us navigate this mad moment of our history is regular contributor Kiralee Smith of Binary. Kiralee, what do you think of my idea of legislating the definition of women? Isn't it insane that we even have to have this discussion, Lyle? I mean, when Julia Gillard removed the de definitions from the Sex Discrimination Act in 2014, uh, this is what has led the way for us to have no protections for biological sex, and yet people have all the protections in the world and then some when they want to appropriate the opposite sex. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And uh, I'm hearing uh, this week that uh, there's International Women's Day events and uh, Women of the Year events where biological males are allowed to, to enter this. It's just insane. Now, now, Kiralee, last weekend in Brisbane, the Let Women Speak tour kicked off and uh, women's and girls' rights champion Catherine Deves had this confrontation with some radical LGBTIQA plus political activists. Take a look. Ask you guys a question. We have not done work. Can you explain to me what human rights don't you have? I mean, I, are entitled to all human rights? I mean, what is it that you're asking for? Because no one has ever answered.
That's extraordinary. Um, so there's Catherine Deves asking these radical activists what rights they as trans people, trans women or whatever they identify as, that, that they don't have. Um, what, what, they had no answer, did they, Kiralee? Well, there is no answer, Lyle, because we all have human rights and we all have a right to dignity and privacy. In fact, not only do they have those, but they're now trampling on women's rights to sex-based services and spaces. So there are now males playing in female sporting teams, entering female change rooms, uh, taking awards away from females. So... Um, they have a lot, but all they have, as you saw in that clip, is a lot of noise, a lot of aggression, uh, and no reason or logic to fall back on because there simply isn't any. That, that was a very significant interaction, though. It's very telling. As you say, that they have no rational argument. They just start yelling and screaming in, in an irrational sort of way. That clip actually went viral. It had several million views, I think, when I looked at it um, earlier today. Correct. And, you know, Catherine Deves was very respectful, very lovely, um, a beautiful woman. And you can sort of hear even as, um, you know, the, the aggression level rises, uh, it, it's very easy to identify who the males and who the females are in the crowd, regardless of what costumes they put on or what drugs they might be taking or surgeries they've had. And this is the thing, we're being asked to lie uh, and to deny what we see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears and to lay down that reality uh, for, at the expense of our uh, experience for their feelings. And it, it just... It's not right, and it's very offensive in so many ways. It, it absolutely is, and it's very frustrating that none of our political leaders uh, seem to have the courage to do anything about it. But uh, that's not the case uh, in the United States. Last weekend in uh, Washington, D.C. was the CPAC conference, the Conservative Political Action Conference, and Donald J. Trump, a former president uh, who's running again, gave uh, a, a big speech, and in it he made some significant uh, policy announcements. Uh, have a look at this. I will revoke every Biden policy promoting the chemical castration and sexual mutilization of our youth and ask Congress to send me a bill prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states. That should be easy. And we will keep men out of women's sports. Now, now Kiralee, uh, as Donald Trump said there, it should be easy. And some of our viewers will remember, and you'll certainly remember as I do, that during the last election campaign, Scott Morrison was asked whether his Liberal government had a bill to protect women and girls in sport. And he said, no, it didn't. Uh, why is this so hard for Australian politicians to do what Donald J. Trump is pledging to do? Look, it's mind-boggling. Mind it's, it's the most sensible, reasonable position to take that women and girls deserved sex-based services and spaces, and yet our politicians on both sides are so afraid of the trans lobby and activists that they, uh, as I said before, they deny truth and reality, they reject the science, uh, all for the sake of appeasing a handful of activists. And we know in America that there's many states that already have taken steps to do exactly what Donald Trump was just talking about. And, uh, you know, this could happen here in Australia if we had a politician or two who were 
are willing to do that. Now, there are some good ones, you know, here and there who are advocating for this, but they have no power within the ranks of the political parties. And so we have uh, Labor policy and then uh, Liberals that do nothing about it that basically says feelings are more important than facts when it comes to biological sex. Yeah, that's right. It's important for our audience to understand that uh, this is Labor policy to to go along with the trans agenda. The Liberals, are, they're sort of ambivalent on it and certainly silent uh, on it. Um, it was good, though, to see uh, Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price, uh, the country Liberal senator who sits in the Nationals Party room in Canberra, at the uh, protest in Brisbane last week, the one where Catherine Deves had that confrontation. Uh, so, so there are some, but as you say, they don't have a voice within the party. What, what do you think it's going to take uh, for these politicians to have the courage to, to speak out? Well, I think that we all need to speak out, that politicians are moved by numbers and are moved by opinions. And at the moment, they're only feeling the pressure from these trans activists. And so I encourage every Australian to pick up the phone and speak to their local MP, to write an email uh, to... Uh, you know, federal and state representatives and let them know that this nonsense has got to stop, uh, that we do not approve, that we do not consent and that there is a better way and that is to give sex-based protections uh, the rights that we deserve to have as women and children and for men as well. No, that's exactly right. Now, um, Kiralee, that protest was the start of a national tour, the Let Women Speak tour. Uh, tell us what's happening with it. I understand cancel culture is kicking in again. Absolutely. Well, that, that was like a prelude. Kelly J. Keane is a UK women's rights activist and she's arrived in Australia, um, much to the derision of the, the Greens who have tried to stop her visa. Um, they were unsuccessful, thankfully. So this Saturday in Sydney, Sunday in Brisbane and then right around every capital city in Australia. Um, Kelly J has created these events to let women speak. It doesn't, it's not political, it's not left or right, it's not about your ethnicity, it's not about your religious background. Uh, it's simply uh, to allow women to speak. Men can take the microphone at the end of the event, uh, end, of, end of the event when the women have spoken, but it's to give women the, a, a voice and a chance to discuss and share testimony of how we're being silenced and already Antifa, uh, other trans activist groups um, and even some football clubs under uh, soccer clubs in Australia are organising protests to stop women speaking. Like, that is staggering. It's 2023 and they don't want women to speak. It's extraordinary. Where are the feminists? Uh, where is the, the media at this time? Um, you know, when we see all these rainbow flags, as we've just had a, a month of Sydney World Pride here where, where I live and the, the whole city awash with these rainbow flags, people have got to remember it's a political agenda that doesn't believe in freedom of speech, doesn't believe in tolerance, is actually quite misogynist in the way that it's oppressing women. Kiralee, thanks so much for your voice. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Where can people go to find information about your work? Just uh, quickly before you go binary.org.au binary.org.au go there people take action Kiralee thanks again for your time thanks for having me Lyle the greatest threat facing the United States is the CCP the Epic Times investigation team had studied the CCP for years but what we uncovered was yielding evidence beyond our imagination with Chairman Mao with the Prime Minister our talks have been characterized by frankness, 
the Clinton administration said, oh, don't worry about it. This will be a poison pill for China. China's strategic goal is to make sure that the U.S. has four enemies, and one of them must be a terrorist group. We are giving of our life's blood so that the Chinese Communist Party can survive and thrive. Now, that was a new documentary produced by the Epoch Times newspaper, The Final War, The 100-Year Plot to Defeat America. I recently watched this uh, documentary at a screening in Sydney, and it was a real eye-opener. Joining me now from the Epoch Times to discuss the film and the threat not only to America but to Australia is journalist Daniel Tang. Daniel, uh, for our audience uh, who perhaps not who, who may not be familiar with your newspaper, The Epoch Times, just tell us about the paper and why it exists. The Epoch Times. Um, well, thanks a lot for your, for your time, Lyle. Um, the Epoch Times was established really to unveil the truth on what was happening in China, especially around human rights issues in 2000. And the reason why it was founded was because at the time there was a lot of interest globally in China, but also in its um, in the potential economic benefits China has. So. It meant that a lot of media outlets didn't want to touch on sensitive issues related to China. And that's continued on for the last two decades. So Epoch Times was founded to really uncover the truth with no real filters. And it's, you know, it's it's grown. It's over the last two decades, it's developed quite a following. Yeah, look, I, I must admit, I've been very impressed with the paper. I, I've seen it over the years being sold in supermarkets and different places uh, and been really, really impressed with its reporting, uh, its objective. It, it plays a straight bat and it does have this focus on the Chinese Communist Party. I think if um, we'd been hearing some of the claims that are made in this sensational documentary, uh, even five years ago, people might have thought it's just a conspiracy theory. But uh, we're, we're now you know, well and truly finally awake to what you have been warning about for over 20 years. Um, just tell us a little bit about this documentary and um, why the newspaper decided that it was important to to make it, and, and, and these key claims that the CCP is hell-bent on destroying America and, and by extension, Australia. Yeah, it's actually, there, there is one thing you mentioned there, and I think it's that we're not fully awake yet in some respects. So I think, um, especially in the last two years, Australia has been keen, well, especially its government, business institutions have been keen to reconnect with China and uh, normalize relations. So I think there is this hope. There is, well, definitely there is this hope to going back to business as usual. Uh, a documentary like this is really aimed at helping people understand that, you know, business might be usual on the surface, but the CCP does have its own goals. And this is something I think a lot of society hasn't quite come to grasp yet. They, they, people tend to treat the CCP like any other democratic government. Um, but the reality is, uh, and you can just look at the human rights issues, the foreign interference, the even the organ harvesting issues. The reality is Beijing has its own plans for the world and for the US and Australia and the West. So, Daniel, have we been quite naive here in the West? Uh, look, you know, going back 10 years, you know, we were fating uh, Chinese presidents. Uh, Hu Jintao addressed the Australian Parliament from the floor of the Parliament, um, Xi Jinping similarly. Uh, have we been naive in entertaining these 
dictators, and particularly Xi Jinping, quite brutal, um, thinking that somehow China was just going to emerge as uh, a benign power that was rich and was a great partner to trade with. Have we been um, naive as to their real agenda right from the get-go of the CCP? Mm, sometimes I think naivety can... <laughs> naivety is one aspect, but the other fact is just, again, the business interests in China. Um, I think money talks in some respects. Uh, the interest to reconnect with China, tap that huge Chinese market, uh, really has been the deciding factor for a lot of our leaders. Uh, you know, where China is the largest destination for most of Australia's exports, uh, education exports, iron ore, coal, um, and, and there's no ready replacement for that. So in that sort of situation, in that sort of vein, you can kind of understand why business leaders, political leaders are reluctant to confront the issue head on. Uh, but, you know, despite the reluctance our leaders may have, it's, you know, the actions of the Chinese regime in recent months and years are pushing us to, well, forcing us to really take a stand on, on a lot of issues, including Taiwan. Yeah, now we'll come to Taiwan in a minute. Um, what, what should Australia be doing? What should our policymakers be doing? We've got these uh, Chinese Communist Party auspice Confucius Institutes in most of our universities. Should, should they be kicked out? Um, they're, they're just not here to promote cultural awareness, are they? There's a much more sinister agenda. Yeah, definitely. The, the evidence is quite clear. Uh, these, these schools, these um, education facilities, they have a specific agenda outside of just providing information and teaching. Uh, they, they are fronts for the Chinese Communist Party, specifically its United Front, which is really its overseas infiltration and influence body. Um, the difference with China's influence is that it does carry a slight, a little bit of a malevolent kind of... Um, it's tied in closely with its its spy networks and its military as well. Whereas in democratic countries, when they're trying to promote their influence overseas, it's generally done on its own terms. It's, there is no connection or relationship with, with spy agencies or the military or any sort of um, any sort of goals around uh, you know world domination, which is you know what the documentary kind of alludes to as well. So they they hide their real agenda. Uh, while they're infiltrating with us. And, and their real agenda, as your documentary says, has always been uh, world domination. That, that sounds fantastic. It sounds like something out of a James Bond movie, but uh, this documentary clearly uh, spells out that this is the, the aim of, um, of this, you know, Stalinist regime, essentially. Yeah, it's, um, and it's not something that a lot of the foreign policy establishment quite acknowledge yet. Um, there, there are different points of view. Some people, like I said earlier, they view China as a democratic regime, uh, like any other government. Uh, let's put aside the human rights issues and just focus on how we can work with China. But I think the, the research that the documentary team have put together highlights that Beijing for the last 30 years has had this goal. And the idea of the documentary, what it explains for those who haven't seen it yet is Beijing is essentially waging an unrestricted warfare, unrestricted war on the West uh, in all forms except for firing a weapon or indirect yeah. military conflict. So that essentially means that, um, you know, they're, they're wearing down our institutions steadily. Mm. Uh, they're creating distrust in our political leaders. They're confusing the population through media manipulation. All these tactics are in full play. Uh, if you cover China for any span of time, 
you will see that while wow, Beijing is very active in these areas, um, and it's only now we're starting to, well, in the last few, uh, I give credit to the Australian government over the last five years. They've been putting a lot of efforts, a lot of um, uh, a lot of legislation through to deal with these threats. Uh, but at the end of the day, that is Beijing's goal. It is to replace the United States as the dominant power in the world. Mm. No, it's frightening. Uh, we have a very large Chinese population here in Australia. What sort of influence does their propaganda arm, this unrestricted warfare, uh, have over the Chinese people uh, living here in, in this country? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's been this underlying source of tension for the last 20 years in, in Australia, I think. So, well, first of all, many Chinese leave China and come to Australia for, you know, the number one reason is lifestyle safety. Yeah. Uh, they don't see a future in China, they see a future in Australia. So that's really the foundation of why Chinese come here. However, what's, I guess, one of the things that, and I believe the federal government is aware of this, is that many Chinese who grew up in that system, they grow up believing in the CCP uh, and that the Chinese Communist Party represents the Chinese people. So when push comes to shove, their immediate reaction is to defend the Chinese Communist Party. And that's despite the fact that they've already made the decision to leave China behind and come to Australia. Now, on the other hand, there's obviously a lot of um, Australian Chinese who have adopted democratic values, uh, are keen for China to adopt those democratic values, and are pushing to just really expose and let people know what's going on. So the community can be quite a complex, uh, there can be differing views, uh, and there, you know, there are people who are more pro-Beijing and those who are more critical of Beijing. Yeah, no, that, that's fascinating. And, and I've certainly discovered that in my interactions with Chinese Australians. It seems like there's there's a, certainly a cohort of them who, who are confused and, and I would even say brainwashed. Uh, I knew a young Chinese uh, student studying out here and I, I once had a conversation with him about Taiwan and he reacted quite um, aggressively and said Taiwan is part of China. I was really shocked to hear him say that. Um, so, so there is very much um, a confusion and, and brainwashing. Um, we, we, on, on Taiwan, Daniel, how likely, in your opinion, is it that Taiwan will be attacked? That's the million dollar question, Lyle. If, um, if anyone can provide an outright answer, then there'd be a millionaire today um, or a billionaire. It's there's a lot of speculation. Uh, some say that Xi Jinping's next term, well, his current term has just started and it's due to end 2027. Uh, he faces internal pressure. It might not seem obvious, but a combination of COVID, um, a poor economy, uh, falling wage rates in China is creating a lot of domestic pressure for him. So Xi Jinping needs to find a way to galvanize support. And it would appear that within that communist framework, invading a, an island seems to be the way to do it. Um, there's a lot of symbolic reasons why they might be doing it within the next three to four years. Um, communists, I think China has now been under control of the Chinese Communist Party for about 74, 75 years now. So that's almost the same expanse of time that the Soviet Union was under the Communist Party of Russia. So there's that element of symbolism there. Um, the other is that Xi Jinping needs to galvanize support before his time, before he needs to start pushing for a fourth term. So it's some experts are saying these are kind of the major pushes that might see China invade Taiwan. Yeah, uh, certainly very worrying. Daniel, I'm intrigued, uh, a, a youngish uh, person like yourself, uh, working for a paper like the Epoch Times. Um, what's your interest in this and wh why have you gone to work 
for the paper. What are you hoping to achieve professionally? And are you a target for the CCP because you, you and your newspaper are so outspoken? Oh, it's an interesting, it's always an interesting discussion to have around this issue. Um, I think a lot of us in the Epoch Times, we didn't, it wasn't really money that drove our interest. I mean, money is obviously something that makes the world go round, but it was really a passion uh, for the work. Uh, Epoch Times, uh, well, in the Chinese side of things, we always, we've always been focused on exposing the truth around China, despite the pressures there. Our English language edition now is focused on you know, talking about the issues that are prevalent in the West, whether that's climate change, um, euthanasia, abortion, cancel culture, uh, politics, and to report on it as, you know, factually as possible without straying too far to the left or the right. So there, there it's, it's a very, it's a passion project, mm. uh, you can say, in terms of pressure from the CCP. I think it's not our first rodeo when we run into it nowadays. It has been an ongoing issue for the last ooh, 10 to 15 years. Um, and it still goes on, uh, but not as overtly as in the past. So one example is we used to, um, the Chinese newspaper used to get advertisers and the advertisers would get direct pressure or direct questioning from the local consulate as to why they are advertising in the Epoch Times. So, you know, that that's just a dime, that, that's just one little element. And on the other end of the scale, some of the biggest companies in Australia, they're, they're quite, um, reluctant to associate with the Epoch Times sometimes because they're afraid of offending Beijing. Uh, they might have huge Chinese customer bases, so they don't want to offend that. Yeah, that speaks volumes. Well, I think it's very courageous of you guys and, and those that are behind the Epoch Times to do what you're doing. Um, I, I, as I said earlier, I really appreciate your reporting. It is um, straight down the line. And uh, on, on another topic, um, you and I were at a conference last weekend in Brisbane where uh, former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson was speaking. And I was very much impressed with the write-up you gave. I was obviously impressed with John's uh, address, but um, uh, he, he said some things like um, that we know from the surveys of young Australians and it's replicated across the West, we think perhaps socialism would, we be, would be better. We're losing trust in the institutions such as our schools, churches and even family. We're losing trust in our driving ideas. That's why it's a civilizational moment. This is what John Anderson said and you uh, faithfully reported. Um, why did you and the Epoch Times think an address like John Anderson's uh, was newsworthy? I think it speaks to, and certain people are seeing it. Uh, I will admit not everyone quite understands it. it, it the, so we're getting wealthier and wealthier in the West. I think we have everything we, we can possibly have. Life expectancies are super high. Um, healthcare is quite prevalent. Um, everyone's average income is really good uh, and those are the hard facts but are we happy and i think the yeah. key question is no we're not yeah so that's a trend that's going on in the west whether it's the us europe australia um and you know what, what's at the heart of that and it's john anderson funny enough is not the first person to have said that there's been a few people who have actually alluded to the fact that um, societies are losing that moral core. We sort of steer away from morality um, or religion, and we think of that as some sort of old-fashioned thing for you know just a segment of society. I'm much more advanced. I don't need that. But the 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 research is starting to show that 
you know, societies can't survive without that moral core, yeah. without that spirituality. And the best example, I actually would say, uh, I would add, is actually China. China yeah. is a society that has gone through 60, 70 years without any overt religious beliefs or embracing of religions. And it hasn't really gotten any better. I think that's a question most people can find out and understand themselves. Yeah, very well said, Daniel. And, and uh, I think that answers the question as to why uh, you and your paper would take an interest in the likes of John Anderson, because he's putting his finger on that uh, loss of the moral core. And it's, it's a warning to Australia that we could head down the same totalitarian path if we're not careful. Daniel Teng from the Epoch Times, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. No worries. Thanks, Lyle. Well, some big news broke yesterday in the United States. There was testimony before the US Congress by Dr. Robert Redfield, a clinical virologist who was the head of the US Center for Disease Control uh, during the COVID pandemic, uh, right up until uh, 2021. He sensationally testified to the Congress uh, yesterday that the COVID virus uh, did indeed emanate from the laboratory in Wuhan, as has widely been suspected. Uh, it was called a conspiracy theory at the time. But uh, Redfield also sensationally testified that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who was leading the COVID response in the in the US and, and globally, influencing uh, the policies that all of our governments took on this, that Dr. Anthony Fauci was very much complicit in uh, US government funding uh, research at the Wuhan lab. And uh, he said that um, several United States bodies, uh, the National Institute of Health, the US uh, Aid, that's the US Agency for International Development, and the Department of Defense all put money into that Wuhan lab for the sort of coronavirus research uh, that ended up in the lab leak that resulted in the COVID-19 global pandemic. It's clear that Anthony Fauci uh, has lied about this. Uh, uh, Redfield testified that Fauci uh, commissioned an academic paper in February of 2020, uh, it was released in March 2020, uh, saying that the COVID virus emanated from a wet market uh, and not from a man-made source. Now, of course, we know this to be completely untrue and Redfield is testifying that Fauci was very much covering his tracks. This, of course, had global ramifications. It impacted us all. And of course, this week here in Australia, we've seen revelations that the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, cynically engaged a polling company to provide him with up-to-date assessment of public opinion uh, to guide his lockdown policies. Uh, Victoria, Melbourne had uh, the worst lockdowns of any city in the world until the Chinese uh, recently. Uh, so instead of being science-driven, it was very much being poll-driven. I believe we need a Royal Commission urgently into all aspects of Australia's COVID-19 response. Trust with the government, with health authorities, uh, has been badly broken as a result of things that happened. And Redfield's testimony proves that. He said that he knew as early as January 2020 that the virus didn't come from a wet market, that it came from a laboratory, that it was a man-made virus. And yet uh, people uh, who postulated this at the time were, were ridiculed as conspiracy theorists. People who questioned the lockdowns uh, here in Australia and their effectiveness were also uh, demonised. Uh, we didn't have proper debate. There wasn't proper discussion about big policy. Now, now I know governments were operating uh, in an emergency situation. It was difficult, I get that. And I think it was right to cut them some slack in the early part of the pandemic. But as things went on, uh, it became very clear that debate was not welcome and it was being shut down and people were being called conspiracy theorists uh, and all manner of, of names uh, instead of the arguments being debated. We need this Royal Commission. Uh, we need to learn the lessons of the COVID 
pandemic, and uh, these things should not be swept under the carpet. Uh, I'm very thankful for the courage of Dr. Robert Redfield and the congressional Republicans uh, who have since seized control of the House and uh, these committees and have enabled uh, this sort of uh, testimony to be given. Uh, of course, the Democrats were not keen to have this sort of uh, focus on the pandemic. So the truth is coming out. We need an inquiry here in Australia as well, and we need to urgently restore trust between the people and their government. Well, that's all we have time for for this week. Uh, I want to really thank you very much for your company, for joining me on the show. Please share uh, this uh, material on your social media so that other people can hear these messages. Until next week, goodbye.